tied for the most terrifying day of my life. I was what? Every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here, and it is day 16 of the Month of Monsters podcast, a Scooby-Doo podcast, where I am watching and reviewing Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed every single day for the entire month of October, and I can't believe we made it past the halfway mark. I think that's an achievement. But my favorite part about doing this podcast is I get to sit down and talk about this movie and Scooby-Doo in general with some really interesting awesome people and today we have a very special guest we have a uh animation writer actor and science fiction fantasy author roger eschbacher is here how's it going pretty good uh, very well pronounced by the way most people get the last name wrong so uh, <laughs> kudos to you for that uh, expert pronunciation Thank you. Uh, thankfully, I was not recording the uh, before show where I absolutely asked you how to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> well, you don't have to tell me that. Oh, <laughs> dang it. I could edit. I should edit this out. You're absolutely you right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining. I'm especially uh, happy and excited to talk to you because you worked on Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is one of my favorite Scooby-Doo shows. I did, and it's one of mine too. I uh, couldn't. Uh, I had so much fun writing on that. With uh, there's some very talented people as the uh, voice talent and the producers and all that. So it was so much fun to work on that show. I, it was like for me, it was like um, writing for animation royalty with uh, actually writing for Scooby. So uh, I was very, very proud and uh, happy to be involved in that one. Yeah, it's fantastic. So if I may ask, how did you get involved with that with that show? Well, uh, I'm a professional uh, animation writer by trade and in addition to acting and stuff like that. But uh, I heard uh, I was <laughs> in, in the business, you're frequently looking for work. If you're not working, you're looking for work at all times. So I put the <laughs> word out uh, to my network of friends and uh, other uh, fellow animation writers hey i'm looking for for a gig if you guys hear about anything and one of my friends responded and said hey i got a buddy who's um running uh the new scooby show and uh you should you guys should talk and uh uh that, that guy's name uh, was mitch watson or is miss mitch watson he's just this hilarious guy so i went in and i had a meeting with him and uh i was also i'm i used to be in this comedy group called the groundlings yeah, and, of course. Uh, lots yeah. of people like Will Ferrell and uh, Lisa Kudrow yeah. came out of that, and uh, Mitch happened to be a, a fan uh, in that from from that uh, perspective. And so uh, the meeting went very well, we hit it off, and uh, next thing you, you know, I'm writing episodes for uh, what I what I think personally, and uh, biased here is one of the best uh, Scooby series uh, to date. So. Yeah. And I, I was just talking to you beforehand as well. Like, I, I hope you knew that, like, people love this show. They love uh, Mystery Incorporated. I've been, you know, doing this podcast for, you know, this is the 16th episode. We talk about Mystery Incorporated almost in every single episode if the person has seen it. And it's just because uh, there's a lot, you know, it, it was so big in scope uh, yes. with yeah. what it with the story it wanted to tell. Um yeah, that's what I, I agree with you, and that's what I loved about it. Um, it's you know you you had the great characters anyway, right? You know Scooby and everybody, mm -hmm. and then uh, but on top of that, uh, these guys uh, Tony and Spike and Mitch uh, just 
did a masterful job in in uh, uh, spinning a yarn over two seasons. I mean, it was, there was a series wide arc, which you know, on a lot of the other shows, and that's that's fine. It's what they are. Uh, don't re- don't really have that that sort of like a uh, you know broad sort of a uh, uh, storytelling arc that goes through the whole series. And uh, that was what was so much fun about this is that you had stuff. Uh, you know, you'd have the monster of the day, of course, but then you'd have uh, the stuff that somehow linked to the what is it, the planospheric disc and all that stuff. Yeah. So it was it was super cool to ride on. That's for sure. Yeah, and I I'm so fascinated with that show in general because there's there's this idea about Scooby Doo uh, that I've been kind of workshopping for. I run a YouTube channel; it's kind of my main gig where I um, analyze comics and superheroes and other nerdy stuff. Cool. Um, and I, I use it to teach about real world, like history, philosophy, um, all, all sorts of cool stuff. And um, I. I've been workshopping this idea with Scooby-Doo that really fits with Mystery Inc. in general, which is this idea that Scooby-Doo kind of fits in between um, the two genres. And I think Mystery Inc. really uh, emphasized that a bit because on one hand, you have this idea that, oh no, nothing's really supernatural. It's always just a person in a costume. And then on the other hand, you have no monsters are real. Supernatural stuff is real. And yeah, and that's kind of how the world is. And Mystery Inc. kind of did a little bit of both of those. It, it, like you were saying, it did have a creature of the week sort of a thing, which would almost always just be a person in a costume trying to do right. something. But then the bigger overall story was this kind of Lovecraftian, like, you know, universe shattering event, which is, it, it's just, yeah, it, it was a really interesting way of writing that line between, is it just you know, the real world with people in costumes or is it actually supernatural? Yeah, I agree. And then, like I was saying, that is, that is the reason I thought it was so cool to write on the show. Cause I, I, I write also, uh, uh, young adult, uh, fantasy and science fiction novels. And, uh, and, you know, so I enjoy a good, uh, lengthy sort of semi complicated story. And, uh, this series delivered that in spades. It was just uh, so so much fun to write. And, and, and you know, as we we're writing it, uh, I mean, from the writer's perspective anyway, all of a sudden you'd, uh, you know, get an assignment or something where a little nugget of information, you go, oh, that is so cool. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah. it was fun to have those little little hints uh, sort of like dropped in your script uh, along the way to see the, the whole uh, sort of season uh, series-wide arc. It was It was so much fun. Absolutely. So were you, uh, were you a big fan of Scooby-Doo before this, or was it just something that you, you know, that you knew of through culture? Sort of well, thing? I mean, I knew of, I knew of it through culture and like, uh, it started back when I was a little kid, the whole series. And, uh, I watched the, uh, the initial series, you know, religiously and thought it was very cool. And, you know, over the years you're kind of like, Oh, well, yeah, that's all right. And, uh, you know, I was always a fan of Scooby in general and always thought, uh, it was such a great character and, you know, uh, personal favorite is, uh, our, our Shaggy and Velma. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've liked it. I've always liked it sometimes much more than others, but I've always loved the, all the, all the incarnations of Scooby. Absolutely. So then I have to ask, 
what did you think of Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed? <laughs> <laughs> because we had talked about this before. You hadn't seen it prior to this. I right? had not yet. When, you, yeah. when, we, when we were first setting this up, I go, is, I haven't seen it. Is that, is that a disqualifier? And uh, <laughs> you assured me it wasn't. Uh, but then you recommended that I go watch it on uh, Netflix, which I did. And uh, the first Scooby movie, I really liked. And the second, the second movie, I really did not like for some reason. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I thought it was so um, flawed in so many ways, uh, just mostly primarily having to do with the script. I thought the actors did a job. They, they did a good job. They contributed. You know, they brought their characters and they, you know, were game for going through it. And uh, yeah. I just thought I just thought it was just an ungodly, unholy mess. <laughs> well, see, made yeah. me so bold. <laughs> yes, and and like I think that's something that I've tried to get across a lot is the actors did, in my opinion, great for what they were given for yes. the material that they were given. They really yes. gave it their all. Uh, you know, people asked me before if I could change. You know the the cast or the script which one would i change and i would say i would probably change the script because that the, the cast wasn't the problem no no this, no. this I, i'm sorry i don't mean to offend any of anyone <laughs> that was connected with it out there but oh it was so bad it was it was so poorly written and uh just just horribly done horribly horribly horrible 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 <laughs> well, well, I'd love to get into some of the nitty gritty if you have anything, because because you know I'm talking with someone who has actually written Scooby Doo, so I'm curious what notes that you may have. Uh, it was, um, oh boy, it's one of those. <laughs> it's it's uh, you mentioned Lovecraftian. It's like a uh, it's like a this, the the script is like a giant uh, great one or giant Cthulhu with uh, tentacles of. Uh, of madness and uh, and lazy writing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, spread out throughout of it. And you know, not to uh, pick on the writers necessarily. Sometimes the directors have a uh, large influence in that regard. So, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, if you if you can uh, think of anything specific uh, that you want me to comment on. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, it's I just, think uh, I was I was sort of in shock and sort of forced myself to finish watching it because I knew we'd be talking today. Oh no. (laughs) See, I feel bad because I've gotten that response before where people are like, I didn't want to, I didn't even want to finish this, but I did it for the show. (laughs) I appreciate it though. I know that this podcast not only requires time to record it, but also requires time for people to sit through that movie. (laughs) We have to do our research. That's right. But I think my big, one of my biggest problems with this movie is um, things things should have been established better. I think the the cotton candy glob is one that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yes. Uh, near the end, they 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 point to Chickenstein really early in the museum, but like they could have easily substituted that for co- the cotton candy glob just to be like, oh, it was established at some point. Yeah, um, I think it's a, a to support what you're saying. I think it's just a giant uh tangled mess of missed opportunities in in terms of like even referring to the first movie and 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 things there i I thought you know opportunities were missed to make it uh appear like a unified whole instead of i mean the second one just seemed like a just a total one-off it almost seems like something they would do 
for <laughs> this is terrible, but for the foreign market, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like you, you had the first movie and it, it, it went great. I liked it. I honestly did. And uh, then the second movie, uh, this, you know, it's it just almost like they sort of, uh, if I may be blunt, they just sort of crapped it out, I think, for uh, <laughs> for the foreign market. And I'm not saying that that's what they did, but it had that feel to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've made this comment before where this the first movie and the second movie share enough of the same beats that it almost feels like the second movie was just like they just brushed off the script for the first one. I'm like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know, just like change a couple words around. The, the, yeah, the second the second movie was like an early draft on the first movie where yeah. they didn't quite fix stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, similarly, the, the person ends up being a villain from their past or a character from their past. Right. There are real monsters involved, which, like, the, the movies don't seem connected in any way. Like, you yeah, don't really you need exactly. to... Yeah, you don't need to see the first one in order to get the second one. Yeah, they're, they're, they're standalone where uh, it's, a, again, a missed opportunity to sort of, like, be a, a unifying, unified whole. Isn't it? And I'm not, you know, the first movie was not like, you know, you know, a super genius piece of work, but it was like fun. It was what it was, you know, it, it mm. was an enjoyable bit of scoobiness, you know, out there in the world. So what's, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I, I want to get your opinion on the character of Patrick because Patrick was introduced pretty much solely to be a red herring that never paid off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you were, yeah, you you knew that you were supposed to think he was the guy the whole time. So that was like that was what I would call ham-fisted. It was just like you know, big. The writing was done with uh, hands the size of, of hams, just sort of like pounding on the keyboard. It was just <laughs> it was just sort of like clumsy and awkward. But yeah, there was there was no subtlety there, and again, a missed opportunity. Yeah. To do that. And then the, and then the unmasking at the end, it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, it's because, you know, at the heart of Scooby-Doo, it should be a good mystery. It should be a mystery where right. at the end of it, you know, and a good mystery makes you feel like all the pieces were there and it was up to you to put it together. But for this, it almost felt like, like the character of Ned being involved as an assistant, Ned didn't get like any screen time really didn't get any lines, uh, that much beforehand. So to find out that he was like in on it just felt like, Oh, I mean, okay, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and not until the very end. So it's like the whole reason he was even put in there is just to say those lines at the end. You know, yeah, just to say, but we cuddled or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, oh, it'd be great if we had a character do that. Oh, we should set that up early, right? I just put him in the, you know, a couple early scenes, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. It reminds me of there's another episode of uh, it might have been What's New Scooby Doo or, or something where, um. Velma tries to put a mystery together and then they unmask the the villain in the end and it's someone that the gang has never met and she's like kind of freaking out and she's like but wait a minute we never met this guy that's unfair you know like <laughs> so she's kind of playing into that trope but that's, that's right. what it that's what it felt like it felt like you know it was on you know oh it was ned helped out but it's like but who i don't know no one yeah, really cared about ned there's rules about how a scooby episode works you know, even if it's something a little more complicated like Mr. Inc., there's rules, and you and you, and everybody that loves a series knows what those rules are. And uh, it seems like in this in the in the second movie, they just sort of like yeah, rules. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I because even the first movie, like they they establish Scrappy Doo a little bit. I wish they did a little bit more with him because that mm-hmm. also. T- I mean, I don't. I, I don't. Maybe your opinion is different, but that to me kind of felt like, oh, it was Scrappy. Oh, okay, all right. Because they also did a thing. Yeah. Later on, where um, they when they found out that it was Mondavarius, the the guy who was Scrappy was pretending to be, right. they were like, "But why did they? Why would they invite all of us here if, if he only needed Scooby for his pure soul?" And I think Shaggy says something along the lines of, "That doesn't matter. We need to find Scooby." And that's like the last of the like <laughs> uh, that they question it. So it's like, oh, okay. right. yeah, let's just toss this away because uh, stop asking questions. Yeah. I mean, you could headcanon that away and just say like, well, you know, Scrappy wanted to get revenge on the entirety of Mystery Inc. So he wanted them all to be there. But I don't know. Yeah. I felt like that it it made a little bit more sense because I've been even trying to wrap my head around what the villain of this movie's plan was, which I, I can't help but point out that the villain of this movie's name is Evil Masked Figure, which is not a good name. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there have been better villain names. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> but like, so it, it's this mad scientist Jonathan Jacobo, and all he wants to do is create monsters and also get revenge on Mystery Inc. for putting him in jail. He was already getting revenge on them by you know moonlighting as Heather Jasper Howe and and smearing them in the press. But then the real monsters is the end game just to have them or what does he want to do with them? I don't know. Right. And, th- and that, that whole thing that it was, uh, he was masquerading as the, uh, hot, uh, news reporter. Mm-hmm. He was like, what, why, why, <laughs> why did you need to do that? You know, it's, I don't know. That wasn't like there was, you know, I, I guess, it, I guess it was to have special access like to the museum event or something, but yeah. that was just like, just so confusing story-wise. And that, that's part of the jumbled mess that I referred to earlier. Yeah. Cause I mean, even still, they even, they make mention that Jacobo tried escaping like two years ago, or even that the museum was being built over a period of two years. So he had to establish that persona and be high enough in the press to like, for, for that person, for her to get her own TV show within like two years. And uh, it just seems weird. Yeah. And I guess they tried to, to seed it a little bit that he was, he was an expert, uh, uh, you know, drag artist, I suppose, for one of a better term, uh, because he got the lead in My Fair Lady, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, that's right. So it's just like, uh, no, no, no. Okay, all right, this is, uh, this is draft two. We need to get it up to draft eight before we can make <laughs> this movie, all right? So uh, you guys need to fix this. Yeah, because I even, the one... The one like there are a lot of plot holes, obviously, but the one that I'm still trying to figure out is who built the secret hatch in the museum for the pterodactyl ghost to go through. Because <laughs> if if Patrick wasn't involved at all and it's his museum, then like, he, was there like a practical purpose why that hatch was there, or it, did it just so happen? You know, some Jacobo snuck in during the construction and built it, and nobody noticed. I don't know. Right. And, and, you know, maybe I agree with that. And uh, you tell me, I said, what was the um, the substance that the, is, does that have canon? Is there, is that a canon reference? And what is it? You know? I, no, I think it was invented for the movie. It's, it's just called randomonium. Yeah. Oh, oh good. Cause I'm like sitting there going, what the, you know, what is that? Where did that come from? Because I mean, I know why they, 
why they need it is that some executive in the while they're developing it is going, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that we should have some, there should be something that, that makes these monsters, right? Uh, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, random, yeah. randomonium or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that, that just made no sense for you. But you're absolutely right about the museum. Where, why was the hatch there? And, uh, <laughs> you know, what's his name? Uh, Seth Green? Um, mm-hmm. Poor Seth Green. I, <laughs> I found myself looking at him. Like and seeing the pain behind his eyes, deep in his eyes, that, <laughs> that he was in this, and you know, I mean, they had you know Peter Boyle in there. He's just this great actor. It's like you just kind of like going, well, you know, it's and there's nothing wrong with this, but it's it's got to be just like a it's a paycheck, you know. But yeah. uh, that that can't have been fun for those guys uh, to be doing that, and they probably learned early on not to ask any questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I said this like ages ago uh, in like one of the earlier podcasts, but I will say casting all of those, um, you know, actors as the suspects, Seth Green, Alicia Silverstone, uh, Peter Boyle, right? Um, right. Like casting all of them as as the suspects really eliminates the trope of in like a lot of mystery stories where it's like oh the most famous actor is the one who did it because they're all like pretty good they're all like it's not like they got some random people and then like you know and then alicia silverstone right was they they tried to make you go no no these are like you know actors that you would recognize so it could be any of them which i appreciated right right Yeah, yeah Yeah, I, I can see. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, and I agree with that. But yeah, I, I will say I give major credit to to Seth Green because I feel like even he didn't know. I feel like there had to have been something cut from the script that explained more of his character. Because, I mean, the last time we see him before the end, uh, he gets taken by the pterodactyl ghost and they just right. leave. Like he just, he's off screen forever until the end of the movie where he just randomly comes back and he's right. like, Nope, I'm here again. And I'm with uh old man Wickles. I don't know why we're together. Maybe there was a scene cut, but yeah. Well, I, I think you're giving the script way too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was thought about. And I think no. that's, that's sort of my feeling about that is sort of, uh, you know, why the movie is what the movie is, but yeah, you think that they were, they were like, well, we'll figure that out in the next draft. Oh, we're filming tomorrow. Right. All right. It's, it so has that feeling to me that, uh, and that happens even, even on, uh, I imagine they had a decent budget on there. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, we explore the budget is significantly smaller than the first movie. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. If you can imagine that, I mean, because the first movie had these, incredible um sets they were huge sets and they were they were very well uh designed and decorated you have like that whole cave that they did a lot of uh the final uh, right. act of the movie and you had like the the huge lobby with like different levels and it was huge and beautiful this movie i think they also had a lot of really great sets the wickles manor i think just stepped right out of a cartoon yeah. i thought it was awesome let me agree with you just real quickly insert that i thought the second movie looked really good it had yeah. some good little scenes and i think the some of the character cgi could have been finessed a little bit but mm-hmm. i would say the the sets were just incredible i thought it had a good look to it yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's something I appreciate from movies that 
are a little bit i mean these came out in the early 2000s so i don't want to say they're old movies but right. you know whereas com yeah compared to like today where if they needed to do like a nice set they would mostly just like kind of build a couple things around the actors and then just do the rest on like a blue screen or green screen or something right. whereas this they were just like no let's just build the set let's just actually do it. even a lot of the effects like yeah there's some cgi characters obviously Sco scooby is entirely cgi there's the um, pterodactyl ghost and the 10,000 volt ghost, the tar monster. All of those are you know, the skeleton men. But sure. they also, where they could, they did real actors in uh, you know costumes and prosthetics. Yeah, practical also, effects. Yeah, yeah. E yeah, even just like little stuff, um, you know, like when Captain Cutler comes out of the, the pond or the lake at the end, like that's that looks i don't know if it is real but it looks very real like you can tell that they didn't do cgi there right so, yeah right i appreciate well, that maybe maybe uh think of that one like bizarre scene i don't know for some reason it popped in my head while you're talking when uh seth green is uh suddenly uh, uh, uh shaggy and scooby run into him in the basement which by yeah. the way i'm sorry was it explained because <laughs> i well, i may have zoned out why there was this elaborate laboratory underneath uh, the mansion or was that explained i don't know but uh, for wait for where say that again the you know the elaborate uh, sort of like monster making uh, machine and all that stuff oh well, yeah yeah was that explained why that was there uh not really because that was under uh, what's his name old man uh was it wiggle wiggles or wickles yeah, wiggles? yeah. It, it was under his mansion right the were they're making the monsters yeah no or, that was in the um the old abandoned mine that they followed wickles to okay all right so yeah, uh, yeah. well never mind on that but uh yeah, yeah. the scene I was, I was talking about was suddenly uh scooby and uh and shaggy run into uh patrick down there and he, then he does this sort of like bizarre thing where he's yelling at people. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, that, that was just, uh, I guess that was an effort to uh, make, well, he's obviously the bad guy and, uh, and to throw us off the trip. But I just, yeah. I just thought it uh, came off as sad and it made me really feel really sad for Seth Green. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what confuses me about that scene, right? Because it, it's supposed to make him look like he's the bad guy, but what he's doing is asking where his costumes are and who stole his costumes. So like you're trying to establish that he's the bad guy, but in, at the same time, he's asking who the bad guy is and he's not putting on, he doesn't know Shaggy and Scooby are there. Right. So it's not like he's doing it for anybody. So right. I don't know. It's just, it just, it's a weird mixed message of like he's the bad guy but he's looking for the bad guy i don't know yeah and then he does that bizarre the most bizarre part is when he is actually talking to scooby and shaggy and he starts to like doing like like this he says <laughs> yeah sometimes i have to start yelling or, or something more horrible yeah. dialogue to that effect but uh and they just it's just it's he just, just does made, like this yeah this sequence of like ah, yeah ah. yeah and they're like ah so I don't, I don't know. That just that that whole segment, that whole uh, sequence there, just made my brain pucker and uh, yeah, and want to give up. It was yeah. They they really really desperately wanted you to think that Patrick was the villain, but they right. didn't really think. And like I apologize to the listeners because I've said this a lot. The the thing that frustrates that frustrates me the most is that he is there. Uh, for a lot of like in a lot of places that he shouldn't be um, or, you know, he acts in weird ways. 
and the movie never explains it because right. right as he's about to at the end, Velma learns her lesson that, oh, no, it's not about facts and logic. Just listen to your heart. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I would love to know his explanation for why he was acting that way. Right. But she's like, no, I don't need to know. It's almost like they put that scene in there because somebody looked at it. Again, some executive going, this makes no sense. You guys, you didn't explain anything. You know. Yeah, like the the shrine to Jonathan Jacobo and Patrick right. just happens to be there, and he and he's even acting weird. He's like Velma, come on, it's not me, you know, sort of a thing. Yeah, it's just yeah, he so becomes bizarre. a different character at that moment. Yeah, we have a a, a going theory that uh, Patrick does have a split personality. Shaggy kind of alludes to it a little bit, where you know he's like, we need to make like your personality and split. Um, and uh, I like the idea that he does kind of have multiple personalities in his head. Cause even I, I would even like the twist that he does. Maybe this is going too far and too out there for Scooby-Doo. Um, but I would like the twist that it really is him pulling the strings, but he just has a different, you're like, you know, he's got multiple personalities. So like there's a, there's a Patrick that has no idea what's happening. And then there's another character that takes over in his mind. That right. is like hey, actually that, doing it. You instantly make more sense the, than the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just toss in that uh, I also would have uh, gl- gladly, gleefully accepted an evil twin. Oh, sure. Yeah. I would have loved that. I mean, I wouldn't have loved it, but it would have been, you know, like you're saying, would have made more sense than what we got. Right. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, I would love to focus on the the Mystery Ink gang themselves uh, because as you were writing them, did you have like an idea of like how you should write specific characters, like how, how Shaggy should be written, how Fred should be written, that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, definitely. And, and you know, personally, and I think for everybody on the show, it was uh, there was to be no confusion that these were, you know, the original Mystery Ink people. It's just them. I think plugged into a, uh, uh, for want of a better term, more advanced uh, sort Mm -hmm. of uh, setting, you know? Yeah. In terms of all that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Shaggy was Shaggy and, uh, and uh, we had to have a, you know, we had to make sure that his sentences were sprinkled liberally with likes, you know, (laughs) so like, you know, of course, plenty of likes in there and Scooby was Scooby. Yeah, and uh, you know they were all they, they they are they were are who they are you know in there and so yeah no definitely it's like uh, I, I've had the opportunity to write uh, some Bugs Bunny stuff over the years too and uh, you know when I was writing that it was I was writing Bugs Bunny you know from from memory yeah, yeah that's incredible because. Because I I feel like and may, you can correct me because obviously you have more experience here but I feel like Shaggy and Scooby and Velma feel like the the like they're more well-rounded that it kind of feels easier and more natural to to write what they would say but Mm -hmm. daphne and fred are kind of tricky in my opinion because like you know velma she's smart and and kind of quirky and and all that and you know shaggy and scooby they're like afraidy cats but they're also hungry and they've got hearts of gold and everything but right i you know writing fred and Daphne could be, I don't know, there's not too much there to work with. I think in Mystery Inc., Fred was uh, turned into like someone who's very obsessed with traps, which is very funny. And I enjoy right. that that Definitely. version of him. Yeah. Um, but like, how would you describe writing for, for Daphne or even Fred for that matter? 
Well, I mean, you you, you make a valid point there. Uh, and it's not not to criticize beloved characters, but they're they're a little more generic, just sort of in their their entire beings. They're a little little more uh, dare I say it bland. So uh, I, I was really actually happy that in in this series uh, they were they were given a little more more depth, like you said, with the traps things and and also. But what I found really interesting was uh, with regard to them and the other characters is that how much we learned about their families and uh, yeah, you know who their moms and and or dads were and what what their involvement <laughs> in the town was and all that stuff. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, and I think that that served to sort of um, deepen their level uh, to, of of character, uh, you know, for Fred and for Daphne and and the others for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about the parents. You know, that's Fred is a huge kind of parental arc on that show. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not to give spoilers away for anybody, but I something else I enjoyed about Mystery Inc. in in regards to Daphne was. I think for most of Scooby-Doo's history, whenever Fred was in the picture, because there are some cartoons where he's not, but wherever he was, he always felt like he was supposed to be the leader of the group. This movie, Monsters Unleashed, even talked about how Fred is the leader, Velma's the smart one, what does that make Daphne? But in my opinion, Mystery Inc. almost made it seem like Daphne was the real leader, but she just like let Fred pretend he kind of was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she was the more capable one of, of the whole group more grounded in, in the reality of the situation. Um, and she, yeah, she, she felt like she was actually helping to lead the group, but kind of was like, Oh, Freddie, you know, I'll let him take this one. Yeah. She was definitely more involved. You could tell that, you know, uh, she cared a lot for him and and he was largely clueless, you know, yeah, uh, per usual. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. And that's what made, um, like they, they played a little bit with that in the first live action Scooby-Doo movie where they're like, you know, Daphne's just the Velma or, or <laughs> Daphne's just the uh, damsel in distress rather. And, uh, she wanted to change that by like fighting and, you know, learning how to use her body as a weapon, as she said. Uh, and they, they played a little bit on that in this movie as well. But Fred in this movie just kind of felt like he was the dumb screw up character, even though it was Shaggy and Scooby's arc that they were the dumb screw up characters. Yeah. You know I, I mean? would agree with that. Yeah. It was a little off character for, uh, for Fred in the, in the second movie. Yeah, he was just yeah, he was just there to kind of screw things up or joust the Black Knight ghost on a motorcycle. That was kind of his that was his whole I mean, he had this weird arc about like, you know, um talkings for wimps. It's time for action and then that came back at the end with the Black Knight ghost, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh yeah, he, he was not a very strong character in the in the second movie, and and like you said, in, in the other stuff, he always he always came across at least as a, the, at least the pretend leader, you know. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of uh, what the how you know, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's split up or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it was always coming through him trying to, and you know, frequently he was wrong about stuff, and that's okay, and that's actually kind of funny, but yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he he was uh yeah he was 
he was not he was not the good Fred in the in the second movie. Yeah, you know, the Fred that we like. No, no. I mean, they didn't even do anything with traps in this movie. In the first one, they at least tried to do a big trap at the end where they would, uh, you know, catch the monster, right. save the day. And of course, in classic Scooby-Doo fashion, Shaggy and Scooby kind of messed it up, but it all kind of worked out in the end. Uh, regardless, this movie, they caught the villain just because the villain tripped and got caught on something. Like, it was nothing they did. It right. was just coincidence. So well, not, I, yeah. You're absolutely right. Again, at, and also at the very beginning when he pulls the chain and uh, they fall yeah. through the... You know, that's that's like an elaborate, that should have been the elaborate end of the thing sort of trap that he invented or somehow yeah. cobbled together out of, uh, you know, duct tape and rubber bands and stuff. And uh, uh, Absolutely. He, yeah. They, again, missed opportunities. Yeah, but I do like after that sequence when Daphne MacGyver's her way out of the, out of the trap um, right, with right. everybody. I thought that was really good character it was a good character moment to let you know the kind of person that that daphne is because even at the end she when they're fighting she and fred are fighting the black knight ghost and the ten thousand volt ghost she comes up with the plan to use the jumper cables and the pipe that they had so right. she's the very crafty one when and i do like that aspect but it just made it feel like fred didn't do much in this movie that was very capable yeah it was great Great for her character in that movie, but it also mm -hmm. uh, pointed out how poorly drawn uh, Fred's character was. It, it, it underlined and emphasized and showed a spotlight on how uh, poorly his character was, was written. Yeah, for sure. But I do like the... <laughs> I do like... Um, yeah, Shaggy and Scooby had, had a bigger arc this time around, and they... They definitely had some fun, you know, classic Scooby-Doo moments. I even like that they reused the sound effects, like the running away sound effect at right. the end when he's in midair. And, you know, there's a lot of like playing with physics, like cartoon physics, which is sure. very sure. classic Scooby-Doo, which definitely. I enjoy. Well, yeah, well, fantastic. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to, that came to mind you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, about the movie or the series? I don't know. Either or, yeah. No, yeah. If you have additional questions, I'll happily take a shot at them. But uh, no, I, I think we pretty much covered a lot of stuff about both of them. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been You're a welcome. ton of fun and learning the insights and, and just hearing what it was like working on one of the best, if not, in my opinion, the best Scooby-Doo cartoon out there. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so where can people find you on the internet or off the internet uh works that you've done whatever you want to plug sure uh people you're welcome to follow me on twitter it's at roger eschbacher uh, which is spelled r-o-g-e-r-e-s-c-h-b-a-c-h-e-r and uh i also have a blog uh, if you want to check that out uh, a lot of information about my books and stuff there uh, that's rogereshbacher.com and uh let's see I, I just came out uh, beginning of this year uh, with a uh, new um ya sci-fi book called ghost star mm -hmm. and uh that was kind of a cool thing i actually got a publishing deal uh from amazon um uh, for their uh, Kindle Press imprint, and 
that that's uh, that came out in January and it's been doing pretty good and doing really well actually and uh, so I'm, I'm proud about that. So if you want to read some uh, decent uh, YA uh, sci-fi or fantasy, uh, I've got uh, my fantasy series is uh, uh, called Letter the Great and it's about uh, it's sort of an alternate take on the uh, Arthurian legend uh, about a, a poor uh, a page for a poor but kind night and now he kind of saves a day that sort of stuff so anyway i, w- I won't over talk it but uh, <laughs> yeah i got a lot of stuff going on and uh, writing on a couple cartoons these days uh one's uh for netflix and the other is for uh uh it's going to be shown in exclusively in mainland china so <laughs> Ooh, exclusive yeah. stuff i love it kind of fun yeah We'll have all of those uh, links and everything in the description, or as my friend told me to call it, the, if I can even pronounce it right, the scoobly do. I don't know. I'll figure it out. (laughs) Either way. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much. And of course, all of you listeners, uh, subscribe if you haven't already to get new daily episodes as this is going out. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Nice Wonder. It's the same thing on Instagram. Like I said, everything's in the description. Uh, And uh, yeah, thanks for all the great reviews as well. Thank you to everyone who's been leaving some incredible uh, insights and, you know, reviews of this podcast i really do appreciate it and of course uh the the ultimate goal of this series is to uh not only talk with people who have worked on scooby-doo before which hey box is checked there so thanks very much (laughs) um but i would love to chat with anyone who worked on this movie specifically as well that would be super awesome but we'll see how it goes all i know is today is a good day and i had a lot of fun chatting with you roger i appreciate you being here no problem. Just let me quickly say, anyone who did work on that movie, I'm sorry. Please don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so I, I tweeted out to, to Matthew Lillard, who played Shaggy, if he'd want to be on. And uh, he was he was very kind and he wanted, you know, he retweeted it and it was very nice. But he, you could tell he hated working on this movie, oh, which is, it's, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it comes across on, in his performance. He looked like he was no, having a fun time. I agree. Know? like all of them were, were troopers you know they did their best and uh i'll just say briefly i wrote for matthew willard on an old uh nick series called skate tv many many years ago and uh oh wow. uh, i'm sure i'm sure he would not remember <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's awesome though it's fun how see how everything's kind of connected it's a small space small community right. i guess it is um, well, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all listeners. And would you like to join me in doing our best in unison Scooby Dooby Doo to end the show? You bet. Let's do it. Scooby Dooby Doo! <laughs>